0: I invite everybody to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. The Gospel according to Matthew chapter 7 this morning, we're going to start in verse 13. Believe it or not, we're going to complete Jesus' Sermon on the Mount this morning. It's been forever since we were together in the Gospel of Matthew. We started our series back in December of 2017. And this is the 19th message in this series. But we've taken a lot of breaks along the way, especially the last four Sundays. Joel preached twice while I was at Challenge. The Challenge group gave their report, and last week was Family Bible Week. So it's been over a month since we were together in the Gospel of Matthew. I wouldn't blame you if you couldn't answer the question, where is Pastor Matt preaching from these days? Well, the answer is the Gospel of Matthew. And our series is called Following Jesus. Because that's what we're learning to do as we study Matthew's gospel. Matthew is a theological biography of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew tells us who Jesus is. His background, his backstory, his baptism, everything. And Matthew tells us how he began his ministry calling people to repent. Remember that? To to do a 360, to turn around, to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Not a 360, a 180. Okay, for you math people. I'm with you now. A 180. See, I don't do math either. See, no cars, no math. What does this guy do? Just preach. Jesus called his first disciples to follow him and make more followers of him. And he began teaching, preaching, and healing. And then in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus went up on a mountainside and taught what we have come to call the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the first of five major blocks of Jesus' teaching in the Gospel of Matthew and arguably the most famous. And like a new Moses, Jesus went up on this mountainside and delivered his kingdom manifesto. And he taught with unparalleled authority. In fact, look down to the last two verses of chapter 7 to see how the people responded to this Sermon on the Mount. Look at verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, in other words, when he'd finished the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. These people were astonished by what they had heard. Now see, we've grown so familiar with so many of these teachings they are very famous and rightfully so. You can quote a whole bunch of the Sermon on the Mount just off the top of your heads. If I said, you are the light of the world, right? You're right there. What if I said, blessed are the? Yeah, you would have one right there. If I said, do not worry. Let's see here. Uh, but seek first. Right. How about this one? Our Father which is in heaven. Yeah, see, you know the Sermon on the Mount. You've grown familiar with all of these teachings. They're very famous and rightfully so. Ever since February, we've been slowly working our way through these teachings, and we've come to know them, at least a little bit. But the first people to hear these teachings were flabbergasted by them. They were knocked off their pins. It was like there was a concussion blast. Whoa! Their jaws were dropping. Did I just hear what I think I heard? I don't know. I'm amazed too. This guy teaches like no one else. He teaches with his own authority. Who does he think he is? That's what I thought again and again these last five months. Who does Jesus think he is? Just as important as understanding what Jesus is teaching is to understand who Jesus is as he teaches it. Jesus did not teach like one of the scribes. One of the other teachers of the law. Jesus teaches from his own authority. We've seen that again and again, haven't we? Remember the but I tell you's from back in chapter 5? Do you remember those? Sometimes called the antitheses. But I call them the but I tell you's. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. Nobody teaches like that. And gets away with it. Nobody but Jesus. So we've reached the conclusion of Jesus' message. Do you remember how he started it? With the Beatitudes, with the blessings? Blessed are the. Jesus invited us to live the good life, the blessed life, the good on you life, the flourishing life as his followers. But what he said was the good life was completely surprising. Do you remember? Jesus invites us to what I call an upside down kingdom. His values are not the world's values. Now, his is actually the right-side-up kingdom, but we live in an upside-down world, so it all seems topsy-turvy. Jesus said that blessed are the needy, blessed are the sad, the lowly, the unsatisfied, the persecuted. Those are the kind of people Jesus says are in a good place. Those are the kind of people that Jesus says are in a good place? The the needy, the sad, the lowly, the unsatisfied, the persecuted. Anybody say, boy, I'm glad I'm persecuted this week. Jesus said, rejoice and be glad. Those are the kind of people that Jesus says, good on you. And this is good news if you know that you're needy. Now, it's not just an upside down kingdom. It's also a, what kind of kingdom? Do you remember what I said? inside out right an inside out kingdom jesus calls his followers to live a whole life what he calls a perfect life and by that he doesn't mean so much moral perfection as he means the same on the inside as on the outside it's not good enough to just have an external righteousness to get cleaned up to look nice to wear your sunday best Jesus insists that his followers have a greater righteousness than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You see, they were totally focused on the externals, but Jesus drives to the heart. And by externals, I just don't mean what you look like, but even like behavior. They had the outward behavior down, they kept their nose clean, straight laced, moral life. But on the inside, Jesus drives to the heart. It's not good enough for Jesus that we keep from murdering each other. We aren't allowed to hate each other either. It's not good enough for Jesus that we we keep from jumping into bed with someone who's not our spouse. We aren't allowed to lust after each other. It's not enough to just keep certain oaths. We're to be totally trustworthy. And our yes is yes and our no is no. It's not good enough for Jesus for us to just love our neighbors. He wants us to love our enemies see from the inside out because his father sees our insides not just our outsides we only look on the outside but the father sees the heart that's why we can't just give or pray or fast when people are watching and for their approval we've got to give pray and fast when nobody sees but the father inside out this kingdom's values are very different than the world's values The world values money. That's how you pronounce it, I guess. Money. Jesus says you aren't allowed to serve both God and money. The world values worry. We aren't allowed to worry about our futures. Jesus says no. The world values judgmentalism, looking down on somebody else. Jesus says we aren't allowed to condemn others. In fact, we are called, Jesus says, to do to others what we would have them do to us. That's what Jesus is telling us to do. That's the kind of kingdom that Jesus is inviting us to join. And the question is are you in? Are you in for that? Upside down, inside out, countercultural, counterintuitive kingdom of heaven? That's what following Jesus is. Are you in? See, we've reached the part of the sermon where Jesus goes there. The part where Jesus gives the invitation. We've reached the part of the sermon where Jesus calls for a response from his hearers. It's not really a sermon if there's never a call to respond to it. Then it's just a lecture. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 29, Jesus lands the plane with a call to response, and he does it in the strongest way. While he was very tender at the beginning of the sermon with those Beatitudes, he's very firm at the end. Because there are only two ways to respond to Jesus' teaching, a right way and a wrong way. And Jesus invites us to respond the right way and warns us to not respond the wrong way. He does this with a series of contrasts that reveal these two ways. Two roads, two trees, two claims, two builders. And in each one of these contrasts, he's inviting us to respond the right way and warning us to not respond the wrong way to what he calls these words of mine. That's our title for this morning. These words of mine. He says, those, the, he says that in verse 24. And again in verse 26. And I don't know how many times I've missed these words as I've read this chapter. I love the ending of Matthew chapter, you know, Matthew chapters 24, 7 verses 24 through 29. I love that. But I don't know how many times I've missed these words as I've read the chapter. Jesus is calling for a response to his sermon. To his teachings. Not just to God's words and God's teachings. The teachers of the law did that. But Jesus is calling for a response to these words of His. He's been saying, have you been listening to my sermon? How are you going to respond? Are you in? Or are you out? Let's pray together and then listen to what Jesus is saying, us, saying to us today. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word. These are the words of life. Help us, Lord, to focus now on them and to hear the voice of our Savior, our Lord, the King of the kingdom, inviting us to take the right way and warning us to not take the wrong. I pray that our hearts would leap at this invitation, and I pray it in Jesus' precious name. I have just three quick points to make today, and here is number one. Take the hard road. If you're taking notes this morning, it's point number one. Take the hard road. And I get this from verses 13 and 14. Let's look at them together. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate. And narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Do you get the picture? Jesus loves word pictures, doesn't he? As Jesus concludes his message, he says that there are two roads, two ways to go. And they are very different. They lead to very different destinations. If you get on Route 80, headed west, you can get off at Clearfield. But if you get on Route 80, headed west, you can't get off at State College, right? They lead in totally different directions. Jesus makes it abundantly clear which road he wants us to take. There's no question about it. There's no neutrality on this question. Jesus is not saying that they're equally valid roads. It doesn't matter. Just pick one. This is not choose your own adventure. You're just going to end up wherever you want wherever you please all in the same place jesus is saying that there's a right road and a wrong road and the right road is the narrow road a small narrow gate and a very narrow road to walk he says that's the one to take but it's harder this road is the harder road he says the other road is a lot easier it's a lot more popular the gate is wide, you can take extra stuff with you. You can have your cooler, you can have your, your backpack, you can bring along some friends and nobody has to duck. It's a nice, nice wide gate, it's a nice wide road. The road is so broad you can careen all over it. You kind of just get to do whatever you feel like. Many people go this way. It's very popular. There's travel brochures for this one. It's very comfortable. It's very easy but it leads to destruction. The other gate, the other road, it's small and narrow and confining and unpopular. But it's the road to life. That's the kingdom road. What's Jesus talking about? He's talking about following his teachings He's talking about receiving the Sermon on the Mount and living now as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, which is near. And that means repentance. Repentance is hard. It's no fun, at least at first. It's uncomfortable. It's unpopular. Not very many people choose it. But it's the road that leads to life. Which road are you on? As you look back over chapters 5 and 6 and 7 of the Gospel of Matthew, would you say that that's the life that you've chosen? That this kingdom is the kingdom you are living for? Upside down, inside out, countercultural, counterintuitive, kingdom of heaven. Yeah, that's me. Now, I don't mean do you live out these values perfectly, I'm sure you don't. That's actually kind of part of the point, isn't it? If you know you don't live them out perfectly, then you're poor in spirit. And you know you're needy. And ironically, that means that you're living them out. It's those who think they have it all together that most certainly don't. But have you embraced Jesus' teachings and decided to follow him on this road? It's not easy. Look back over chapters 5, 6, and 7, and you'll see that Jesus is calling us to walk a difficult path. Persecution? Small is the gate and narrow the road, but it leads to life. The second thing Jesus says is to beware of fake Christianity. To beware of fake Christianity. Look at verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. This is where we get the phrase, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Jesus says that there are going to be people out there who are going to seem like they are people worth following, people worth knowing, people who are God's sheep just like you and me, but are actually ferocious wolves. They are completely and totally dangerous. And we need to keep on the lookout for them. Stay on your toes, Jesus says. Appearances can be deceiving. These people are not a genuine part of the inside-out kingdom. On the outside, they look like followers of Jesus. But on the inside, they most certainly are not. These false prophets regularly recommend the wrong road. They invite us onto the wrong road. And they warn us against the right road. See how backward that is? That's the definition of a false prophet. But they can look so good. They could be great communicators, awesome storytellers, powerful preachers, popular preachers. They seem to have it all together and have all of the answers. You know, the Pharisees were a lot like that. Everybody thought these guys were the godly guys. But most of them were actually fakes. So how do we know which ones to listen to? How do you know whether or not to listen to me, for example? Don't just take my word for it. Well, one way is to line up what I'm teaching with what Jesus is teaching here and see if they match. If I'm encouraging you to go the wrong way, you should run away from me right away. But the other way to tell is to keep an eye on their fruit. Look at verse 16. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you'll recognize them Jesus loves this metaphor he uses it in lots of different ways in lots of different places he says if you're not sure whether or not they're a good teacher or a bad teacher just give it a little time and watch what comes out of their life they might seem good at first because they have on the sheep's clothing but eventually a wolf will act like a wolf A good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. Sooner or later, you can tell. Eventually, ultimately, you can tell by watching their lives. And he says the Lord is also watching their lives. And if they continually produce bad fruit and prove to be a bad tree, they become firewood. So watch out. Beware of whom you listen to. I think that Jesus is continuing the same thought in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You do have to call upon the name of the Lord. You do have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, but that's not good enough if he really isn't. This is scary. But Jesus says that there will be many people who actually have taken the broad path in life and yet will try to convince Jesus on the last day that they took the narrow one because they're wearing the patch. I'm wearing the Jesus patch. Never mind what path I took. Now I think in general the wrong people get scared by this teaching from Jesus. People who love Jesus and are following him by faith should not be scared by these words. They should watch out for people like this. They should beware of false teachers who do lots of things in the name of Jesus, wearing the patch, even preaching and prophesying and miracles, but they don't really know Jesus. Watch out for false prophets. You don't want to be in their shoes when Jesus says that he doesn't know them. There's no real relationship there. And you can tell because they chose the broad path and it showed in their fruit. It was clear from the fruit of their lives that they did not trust and love and know and follow Jesus. Now, if that is true of you, then you should be scared. Beware of fake Christianity in your own life. The proof is not in church attendance or church activity or singing songs or giving alms or even in doing prophecies or preaching or even doing miracles in the name of Jesus. The proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the fruit. The proof is in what path have you chosen? Have you taken the narrow road? Have you chosen to trust and love and follow Jesus? Have you repented? Are you repenting? Are you in? Are you a citizen of this upside down, inside out, countercultural, counterintuitive, counter your own sinful heart kingdom? If so, then don't worry. Jesus isn't talking about you. Jesus is calling you to watch out for people like that. Jesus is calling you to, number three, build your life on Jesus' teachings. Build your life on his teachings. Look at verse 24. I love this parable. I'll try not to break out into song. The famous kids' song about this one. Almost every time I preach it, I broke out into the song. Verse 24. Therefore. Notice that? Therefore. You see how this is all tied together? He's drawing it all to a conclusion. So what? Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Like the wise man in Proverbs that we looked at last week. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine... You see what he's talking about? You see those, that phrase? He's talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Anybody who listens to the Sermon on the Mount and does not put these teachings into practice, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Why would you do that? You do it because it's a lot easier. Right? You don't have to dig into that rock. It goes up much faster. Maybe you could build a bigger house because you didn't put any money into that foundation. You don't waste your time and energy and resources. to Dig it into that rock if you build on the sand. But the storm is coming. The storms of life and the eschatological storm of judgment is coming. The rain came down. The streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Isn't it amazing who Jesus thinks he is? We're just used to this. Look at verse twenty-eight again. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. They were right to be amazed because because Jesus is saying, "If you build your life on his teachings, then you will stand." Can you imagine anybody else saying that? Well, if you just do what I teach, then in the end you'll be saved. He's making a major claim about himself. Your life will stand the test of time and the test of eternity. But if you don't build your life on these words of mine, on the words of Jesus, then you will fall with a great crash. Now, he's not saying you can save yourself by putting his words into practice. But he is saying that if you are genuinely trusting him with genuine faith, then you will put his words into practice. And it'll be obvious. Maybe not at first. I'm sure both of these two houses look great when they were built. In fact, the one on the sand might have looked a little better. But when the storms come, all will be made plain. Do you feel the invitation? And the warning from Jesus' conclusion to his ser- sermon. How he's warning us to not ignore these words of his. They are that important. They are not optional. This is what Jesus is saying to us. Matthew 5, 6, 7. Study it. Read it. Build your life on it. Ask yourself, is there evidence in my life that I am? Or does my life look like the anti-chapter 5 and the anti-chapter 6 and the anti-chapter 7? Maybe you got your life all cleaned up, but it's not true on the inside. These are not optional for those who would want to enter into the kingdom, to enter into life, to flourish now and forever. Jesus is warning that if we don't build our lives on his teachings, then there will be great destruction. He is that important. And so what he says is that important. And at the same time, Jesus is inviting us to build our lives on the solid rock of his words, on the firm foundation of his teachings. His teachings are sometimes hard to swallow. Okay, they're often hard to swallow. It's not the easiest road to walk. But it's the road to life. And we get to walk it with Him.